And as those who are called to treasure God's word up in our hearts, let's turn this morning to 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 18. 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. And as you turn to 1 Kings 19 this morning, we're returning to the idea that Jesus uses quietness in prayer to give us security, hope, and perspective so that we can respond rather than react. That is, Jesus wants us to see ourselves and our situation from his perspective so that we can know deep in our hearts that we are safe because he is with us and so that we can have hope that Jesus saves us and rebuilds and reconciles because he is the Savior. And as we saw last Sunday, Jesus wants us to know these things so that we can respond in faith, so that we can intentionally act in ways that build the kingdom of Jesus up in our lives and the lives of those around us, and thus reveal the glory of his Son. Uh, And as I've studied quietness in prayer and as I've sought to practice it, uh, I've learned that this is a spiritual discipline that Jesus actually leads us into uh, if we have the, uh, the, 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 the eyes to see. And Jesus leads us into it because being still before the Lord or waiting in silence, being quiet in Jesus' presence is a hard thing to do. <laughs> and that's why we are in 1 Kings 19 this morning, because here Jesus takes Elijah on a journey into quietness and prayer. And central to my reading of this text is the fact that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God uses stories to explain theological concepts as opposed to treatises and long-winded explanations. So what does it mean to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I could pull a systematic theology off my shelf, or we could read the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Read the Gospels and see what it means to follow Jesus, the kinds of places Jesus goes to, the kinds of people Jesus invites in, and see what kind of struggle it takes to join the King of Heaven as he brings in the kingdom of God here below. In terms of prayer, 1 Kings 19 has a long and honorable history of being read as an explanation of why prayer And especially quietness in prayer is so important. And how Jesus gets us to that place of stillness and quietness with him so that he can give us his perspective. And thus with it, give us safety and hope and the ability to act in faith. Now what we're going to see this morning in 1 Kings 19 is that Jesus takes Elijah on a journey. A journey into quietly, prayerfully standing in God's presence so that there... In the thin stillness of God, Jesus can give Elijah God's perspective on his life and on the world. And with it, give Elijah security and hope and thus the ability to respond in faith to the events of his life. This morning's sermon is all about how Jesus moves us into his presence in prayer. Uh, The points are there on the wall. Let's read 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18, pray, and then we'll reflect on this some more. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. So then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, 
if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a thin silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abba-Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we want to learn how to enter into the stillness and quietness of prayer with you uh, so that we can be encouraged and strengthened and enabled to respond rather than react, to follow you by faith. But Lord, we know that this word will not produce this change in us unless your spirit blesses it to us. And so therefore, Father, we ask that you would now through your spirit give us ears to hear minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words in my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we start looking at how Jesus takes Elijah on this journey into quiet prayer, it would be helpful, I think, to know a little bit more about the context. Uh, for those who may not know, next to Moses, Elijah is the greatest prophet in the history of Old Testament Israel. In fact, Elijah is so great that when Jesus' glory is revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, God has Moses and Elijah appear to the Son of God to encourage him as he goes to the cross. And one of the reasons why Elijah is so important in the Bible is because of what happened back in chapter 18. In chapter 18, Elijah sets up a contest between himself and the priests of Baal. And the contest is simple. He says, we each set up an altar to our God. I'll set mine up to Jesus. You'll set yours up to Baal. And then we'll ask our gods to send down fire on the altar. And the God that sends down the fire, that's the real God. And when he doesn't send down the fire, not the real God. Uh, long story short, the priests of Baal, they cry out to Baal. They beg Baal. They plead with Baal. They even cut themselves to try and get Baal's attention. And they do this basically all day, and no fire shows up. Then Elijah stands up. He has a trench dug around his altar. He has water poured on that uh, altar until the trench is filled with water. And this is a time of a drought, so I'm sure people were pretty grumpy about this. Uh, and then Elijah prays, and God responds, and fire descends from heaven, consumes the altar, consumes the water, and then Elijah and the people of Israel, they rise up, they put the priests of Baal to death because of their treason against God. And then God breaks a years-long drought by sending a huge rainstorm. Uh, and in an act that's pretty amazing, uh, God gives Elijah so much strength, he actually outruns a chariot and horses to get ahead of the storm. That brings us to chapter 19. When Ahab goes home, who's king of Israel, and he tells his wife, Queen Jezebel, what happened, and she sends this death threat to Elijah. Now, you would think, after this incredible victory of faith, right, Elijah sees fire come down from heaven. He experiences God answer his prayers in front of everybody. He sees the priests of Baal receive justice, because child sacrifice was a part of Baal worship. And he feels the wind and the rain as Jesus breaks the drought and as Jesus empowers him to outrun horses. You would think after all that, this death threat uh, wouldn't affect him like it did. But it did. And church history is full of guesses about why. Some guesses are better than others. To my mind, given that Jesus takes Elijah on a journey into prayer with him and into silence and stillness, the best reading as to why this is comes from one of the desert fathers. I don't remember which one. I read this years ago, and I remember it uh, because I used to think it was bananas, and uh, I used it as an example of why the desert fathers were bananas, but now I see that I was bananas, and there's a lot of wisdom in this quote. Uh, this desert father said something like, God had to lead Elijah back to the silent desert for prayer because he had been making too much noise a little cryptic right uh, what he means is elijah got to this point of despair because he had spent so much time doing for jesus that he had stopped being with jesus ministering to people had swallowed the time that he had set aside for jesus to minister to him speaking to people 
had replaced speaking to God. Listening to people and planning and next steps had overshadowed sitting with God and listening to God speak in his word and seeking his will and waiting on his promises in his presence. And I think this makes sense based on what Elijah does next. We're told in verse 3 that Elijah runs away to the desert or to the wilderness, depending on the translation you're using. Now, in the Bible, the wilderness is often where God's people meet with Jesus in this fresh, life-giving way. Moses meets God's salvation and strength in the wilderness at the burning bush. Israel meets God's grace and provision in the wilderness during her desert wanderings. John the Baptist leads people out into the wilderness to meet God's grace and forgiveness so they can prepare to meet the Messiah, Jesus. Even Jesus goes out regularly into the wilderness to pray and be refreshed by the Father and the Spirit's presence. And I'm saying all this because Elijah seems to know that he needs to encounter Jesus in this fresh way. He needs to be in God's presence. He needs to return to communion with his Savior. And so he leaves his servant in the southernmost town of Judah, Beersheba, and he travels by himself into the wilderness, and he sits down or lays down under a broom tree. Uh, very interestingly, there's a long tradition of connecting this broom tree with the burning bush that God used to reveal himself to Moses. And that tradition probably exists because God appeared in a burning bush to Moses on Mount Horeb, which is the same mountain Elijah is traveling to. As you're going to see, there are a lot of passages about prayer and communion with God that connect to 1 Kings 19. Uh, so Elijah goes and he sits under this broom tree and he tells God at the end of verse 4, I'm going to read it, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Uh, there is so much helplessness and despair and dismay in these words, isn't there? Like, it's enough. I'm done. I'm terrible. I want to die. I'm no better than my fathers. I'm a bad prophet. I'm a bad son. I'm a bad friend. I'm a bad mentor. I'm a bad saint. Just take away my life. Let me die. It's over. I'm empty. Can't we just be done with it? That, my friends, is a dark night of the soul. But good on Elijah and here he's an example for us, he takes that dark night of the soul to God in prayer. Uh, connecting it to last Sunday's sermon, we can say that Elijah went into the desert to be silent before people so that here he could be loud with God in prayer. Now I want you to notice how Jesus responds to Elijah's exhausted, depressed, dismayed prayer. Jesus sends down an angel with a flaming sword and anger and judgment. No, he sends down an angel with food and water. Verse 5 and 6. And he lay down and slept, because being that sad and despairing is exhausting. Uh, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And Elijah ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. 
and he arose and he ate and he drank. Uh, I could spend a whole sermon on how this relates to communion and fellowship and the grace of God, uh, how the hot bread relates to the temple and the provision for the priests, how the jars of water relates to Elijah's previous experience during the drought, how the angel has echoes of God, or excuse me, Jacob running from Esau and meeting God in the wilderness. Um, but for today, all I want to say is this. Uh, as Jesus leads Elijah into a journey into quiet prayer, Jesus knows that Elijah's body is involved in that journey. And if Elijah is hungry and tired and thirsty, it will be hard for him to make that journey into the stillness of God's presence. And since our God wants to bless Elijah with his perspective and hope and security that comes from his presence, he feeds Elijah and he gives him rest. He cares for him like a father and shelters him like a mother. And my friends, while we are not angels, we are God's servants, and we need to be aware that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to give people food and drink and rest before we pray with them and before we invite them into prayer. When one of us is grieving or despairing or like Elijah in a dark night of the soul, bring food, bring water. Don't bring kale, that will depress them more. Bring ice cream and cake and steak. Bring wine, bring Coke if they don't drink wine or whatever. Like encourage them to sleep, give them rest. And then after that, then invite them into prayer with you and with God. And that's literally what Jesus does here. And as those who are called to follow Jesus as his disciples, we would do well to follow him. And then after this, Elijah gets the strength to journey to Mount Horeb, which the text calls the mountain of God, which is also the same name as the temple and the tabernacle, and therefore points us to Jesus, who is also the mountain of God, the meeting place of God with his people. That's what the Mount of God is. Now, you should know that Mount Horeb, kids, this is going to be interesting to you, I think. Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai, they're the same mountain. <laughs> Why the different names? Well, it seems to me that when God talks about Mount Sinai, he does so when he's thinking about the Exodus very specifically and Moses and the covenant he made with Israel. But when he talks about Mount Horeb, which comes from the same word as the desert, he's thinking about giving his people life through communion with him, through being in his presence and waiting and receiving his grace. I've already told you that Mount Horeb is, this, is where Moses met with God in the burning bush. It also seems to be where Abraham offered his son Isaac up, but where God provided a lamb instead meaning that this is the same place that Abraham named the Lord will provide. And by the way, Abraham's journey from that mountain ended at Beersheba, which is where Elijah begins. So Abraham begins his journey from the place of God's provision to Beersheba. Elijah leaves Beersheba and goes to the mountain of God's provision. I'm telling you, 1 Kings 19 has just too much to talk about in one sermon. Uh, so Elijah journeys to the mountain of God 
wanting and hoping to receive God's provision of life and security and hope. Though I say that, uh, what happens at Mount Horeb? Well, verse 9, Elijah gets to Mount Horeb, and he goes into a cave, which is odd. Why would you not stand on the mountain? Why would you not go lie down under another tree? Why would you go into a cave? In the Bible, when people are afraid, when they're dismayed, when they're just done, when they're running for their lives like soldiers or like people from conquering armies, they take shelter in caves. I think that's what Elijah is doing here. He's taking shelter in a cave because even though he wants God's presence, there's a part of him that is afraid to find it. See, the words and the feelings in his head and his heart, they are so loud that he is afraid to meet God. And maybe you know what that feels like. I know I do. When you think that you're such a screw-up and a failure, you can be afraid to sit with God because you don't want to hear him say, you know what, Matt? You're right. You are awful. You're ruined. You've ruined everything. It's over. There's no hope for you. There's no hope for this situation. Or we're afraid that we're going to hear God say, you know what? This is a difficult situation, and it's just what you're going to have until the day that you die. My plan for you is suffering, suffering, suffering until it's over. There's no hope. There is a part of us that can be afraid that when we enter God's presence, it's going to be like entering into this cave. Dark, cold, and that's your future. But Jesus in his gentleness and in his kindness, knows what's in Elijah's heart. And, but rather than confront him about it directly, he asks Elijah a self-reflection question in verse 9. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I'm very carefully trying to avoid the tone of voice that I know many of us have when we hear God speak in the Bible. We hear God's like, what are you doing, Elijah? He's like angry and rough and overbearing and powerful and Jesus is not bringing Elijah here to crush him he's bringing him here to bless him this is a gentle question what are you doing here Elijah and I'm saying it's a self-reflection question because God obviously knows what Elijah's doing there but did Elijah really know what he was doing there see Elijah needed help discerning and saying what was really in his heart, what was really going on in his heart and mind and what his needs were. And you can see that because you'll notice there's a huge difference, a humongous difference in his answer from verse 4 to verse 10. Not only is it longer, but it doesn't have the same despair. It doesn't have the same death wish. He says in verse 10, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You see, by asking Elijah this question, Jesus helped Elijah name the big feelings that were causing his despair. I have been so faithful. I've worked so hard. I've been so devoted to you, but your people have been so faithless. And you know what, Jesus, like, I'm lonely, and I'm afraid 
that they are going to kill me and that it's going to hurt. And implied in all of this is this unspoken statement, but it's clearly there. And you, Lord, don't seem to be doing anything about it. See, this is so important to understand. Over the course of days and days, Jesus has moved Elijah from prayers of dismay, it's the worst, I'm the worst, just kill me, to prayers of lament. I've been faithful, but I'm lonely and alone, and where are you, Lord? A prayer of lament is pouring out your heart to God with the expectation that maybe God will actually hear and respond and save. The first prayer was a prayer of hopelessness. The second prayer of lament is a prayer of hope. It's seeking hope. The first prayer is afraid to enter into God's presence, and that's what led him into the cave in the first place. The second is hoping that he can come out of the dark and stand in the light of Jesus' own life. What am I doing here, Lord? I want hope. And Jesus is determined to give Elijah hope, so he tells him in verse 8, go out, come out, and stand on the mount before the Lord. And then we get this famous scene, which I love, in verses 11 through 12. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke the rocks before in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Hear this. This is important for your understanding of God's character. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord's not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about why God chose those things. Here's my favorite answer. Uh, remember way back at the beginning when I talked about the contest between Baal and Elijah? While there wasn't an earthquake, there was fire. And there was a wind. And there was a storm. The Lord on this mountain is not in these things. See, going back to the Desert Fathers quote, it seems to me like all this noise represents ministry actions. These are all things that Elijah, or in the case of the earthquake, Moses and Joshua, these were all things that God's servants, like Elijah, were called to announce and to bring to people. These were all God's doings that Elijah was called to participate in and, and be a part of. But what Elijah needs now is not to enter into God's doings, into God's ministry for others. He needs to enter into God's presence, God's ministry, Jesus' ministry for Elijah. And I think by passing by with all of these actions, God is effectively telling Elijah, right now, I am not calling you to do. I am calling you to be. I don't want your ministry right now. I just want you to be in my presence. And that's why at the end of verse 12 and 13 we read, and after the fire there was a sound, and our translations have a low whisper, but literally it's a thin silence. And I think the translators have a low whisper because it says Elijah heard it, heard it, heard it, meaning the silence. And I think they're thinking, well, he has to hear something. I think they just have not been outside when it's really quiet. Have you ever been outside and you felt it's too quiet? There's nothing moving? That pure kind of silence? Elijah hears the silence, the stillness, 
the quietness of God's presence. And then he wraps his face in his cloak and he goes out and he stands at the entrance of the cave. Now I know in verse 14, God speaks, but there is a difference between how quickly something actually happens in a story and how quickly we read it from verse to verse. Right? When we're reading the Bible, things that the scriptures say take days and years, go by literally in half seconds, right? And we can miss the time flow. Uh, I want to submit to you the possibility that Jesus didn't speak to Elijah right away. That there was time when Elijah was just standing outside the cave in the presence of Jesus. And I think that because why go through all the trouble of making all that noise so that that quietness would be something so palpable that Elijah would hear it to just bring Elijah out for just a, just a few seconds of silence. Well, now that you're here, let's talk. Uh, it seems to me that the Lord brought Elijah to the place where he can be still and know that Jesus is God. Psalm 45, verse 10. Where his soul could wait quietly on the Lord, Psalm 62 from last Sunday. To a place where Elijah could experience the goodness of being still and waiting on the Lord, Psalm 37, verse 7. To the Lord brought Elijah to a place where he could experience the powerful presence of Jesus in silence and in stillness and in quiet, so that when Jesus finally did speak, Elijah would be ready to hear because he had been secured in the presence and in the strength of his Savior. And God does speak. He asks Elijah the same self-examination question as before. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah gives the same answer. Only now God responds, doesn't he? And since we're near the end of our time, uh, and I have one big thing left, I'm just going to summarize this. In his response, God gives Elijah hope because he shows him that he is not done with Israel or with the world. He gives Elijah help by showing him that he is not alone and by getting a ministry helper, Elisha. And then finally, God gives Elijah wholeness and healing. And I say that, and you're welcome to that alliteration, help, hope, wholeness, and healing. Uh, and I say that because, remember, when we started this journey, Elijah was ready to die. And then in the middle of the journey in the cave, Elijah is afraid to die. And then at the very end, we didn't read it, but it says, and Elijah went out and went to Elisha. Now Elijah's going out to face his enemies. God has given him a healed heart, a wholeness in his presence. He's given him security. He's given him perspective. He's given him hope so that now Elijah can act in faith. He can respond in faith. Because he had experienced what it means for those who wait on the Lord to renew their strength. Because by standing in the presence of Jesus, Elijah learned, as Paul did in Philippians, who's also talking about prayer, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it's this journey into silence, in prayer, in quiet stillness before God that gives Elijah that perspective on his life. It's not hopeless. You're not alone. I am with you. I'm bringing others with you. It's okay. 
And by the way, Elijah, by the way, you all, you don't always need to be doing. In fact, what I'd really like you to do is spend more time with me in prayer. My final point, how does this work today? Because we're not all going to get on a plane and fly to Mount Horeb. Uh, in two weeks, I'm going to talk more about this in depth when we look at an event in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 5. But for today, let me just say three things. The first, uh, just quickly, 1 Kings 19, is not telling us to expect God's voice. Uh, though it is telling us to listen to God's word, which is the Bible, there is an important second or even third sermon I could preach on this that in would encourage us to hear the word, respond in prayer, sit in silence, hear the word, sit in silence, respond in prayer, and then act. <laughs> but for today, just know if you want to hear God speak to you, if we want God to speak to us, we need to be in the Bible. We need to be in the word. And the Spirit will use the word in our prayer time and in our life to lead us and guide us into communion with Jesus. Here's the second thing. To avoid the point that Elijah arrived at, exhausted, burned out, ready to be done with everything, we need to have time regularly in our weeks and ideally in our days where we come before the mountain of God, who is Jesus, the meeting place of God with his people here on earth. And where we come before Jesus, where we are not parents to our children, spouses to our spouses, employees, business owners, pastors, elders, deacons, where we are not ministering or giving or doing. Instead, we are, we are simply servants with our King and sinners with our Savior, children with our Father. We need to take this journey with God into prayerful communion with Him frequently simply as those who need to be with the one who made us and sustains us and loved us before the foundation of the world. And then the third thing is this. Uh, we need to make silence a regular part of that time. It doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be a particularly profound time where we feel like we need to talk about it on the internet and create blog posts about the 12 ways that being silent has changed my life and cured cancer and restored my family and all these things. Uh, but it is something that the scriptures say should be a part of our regular time with Jesus. Just sitting in his presence or kneeling in his presence and being aware of who is with us, our Savior and our King who loves us. So that when Jesus says, as his spirit brings the Bible to mind, what are you doing here? We can tell him our troubles. And the Spirit will use the Bible and God's people to bring answers, and we can receive them because we have received God's perspective on ourselves and on our world that Jesus is with us, and therefore we have security because he is our strength, and we have hope because Jesus is the one who saves and restores and makes new so that we can therefore act, we can respond in faith because we are confident that we walk with the God who raises the dead. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you want us to know the security and hope that comes from living in the presence of Jesus. Thank you 
that when the world gets noisy and when uh, we get empty and tired and burned out, that you do bring us into your presence so that we can have our vision of you renewed and our hearts secured and our hope restored. Father, please help us to regularly seek times of silence and quiet in our prayers so that we can be still and know that you are God and know that we are safe because you are with us and that we can act in hope because you are working out the salvation of Christ in our lives and in this world. Father, please teach us how to take refuge in you by waiting silently in your presence as a part of our prayer life. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.